The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. Elliot Callan of Prosperity Financial Group. You're the founder. Where is uh, Prosperity Financial Group, by the way? We're in East Bay of the San Francisco market. Okay, so up in, in Northern California, I guess. San, um, San Ramon. Right on. So you've got some contrarian views here on the market, on stocks. And the one that you started with, which I think is a very interesting one, is that we are going to have a recession, but it's going to be a mild recession, right? Correct. So tell me about that. Well, Nathan, it's great to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for coming Can, on. can I call you, Nathan, instead of Nathaniel? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's um, great to be on your show. Uh, you know, when you're, you're talking about the definition of contrarian, it means you're going the opposite way of the masses. Uh, and that's a, in, in life, that can be a very good place to be, the opposite place of the masses, because it, it makes you stand out, kind of like the road less taken. Uh, in poetry. Yes, yes. These are all reasons for me starting the podcast, but go it's, on. They're great. And and it says something about your personality that you don't want to blend in. Um, and I, I too, you know, running a financial services firm as we do, and I've been running it now for 30 years. It's a long time now. We've always taken a contrarian point of view. Nice. Uh, it doesn't always work. I can tell you, it's not 100% foolproof for sure. Because if, if last year, 2022, you took the contrarian point of view, you would have bought technology and you would have been down no less than 40%, in some cases, 50% for the year, and probably had a whole bunch of clients walk out your front door or back door and been very unhappy. And if you held that till today, they would have said, wow, you were a genius because the masses said, sell technology and don't buy it for two, three, five years to come. There's just no money in it right now. Everything's overpriced. Still, the PE ratios are still you know, stupid with some companies. Certainly don't buy Apple. Hmm. You know, that, that's, look what yeah. happened to Apple in the last week yeah, or two. Right. So Contrarian says, okay, who's making money? Who are the leaders? Who are the followers? And how can I be part of the leadership team? 
And that's what we try to do here. So in hockey terms, in Wayne Gretzky terms, it's where is the puck going? But Morningstar and the news, and it doesn't matter whether you're Fox Business or MSNBC or, or CNBC, it doesn't really matter. You know, they, everybody's got, for the most part, a rear view mirror of investing. This is what worked yesterday. This is what definitely will work today. And they're almost always wrong because they work in cycles. Um, same thing with real estate, although real estate has proven almost every contrary to be wrong. Uh, so we are, we are very slowly buying back into technology right now because we think that they will come out of it, but slowly, because we know that it's somewhere in the middle of the recession here, which we think will be the summer or late or early fall. We know that when you come out of it, though the American technology in particular will be the leader, you want to own it before it goes up by 10%. So somewhere we're buying in little by little by little as a contrarian point of view versus most of the, the, the mainstay will say, get out of anything that's growth oriented. Yeah. Where are the buying opportunities for technology? Though? Because as you mentioned, this year has been, it's, an, it's a new bull market for, for the NASDAQ and, and for tech stocks. It's very interesting on that. I think technology is going to pull back in the next 60 days. That's your good buying opportunity. I think Apple's always a good buy, but you know, I'm a much bigger fan of ETFs than I am of okay. individual stocks. I think when you're buying semiconductors, which have been beaten up this year, um, and I would not buy them right now, but rather than buying Intel, I'd rather buy the ETF. Yeah. AMD's not a good year, Intel is not. Uh, so I like, I like, there are all types of computer, computer chip, computer software, buyers, in different ETFs. I don't want to do an ad for them of whether you're like power shares, I shares, sure. or pro shares. I don't want to do that. Uh, but you should be looking at that. And that's what we do for our clients is where's the puck going? Yeah. And let me throw into that as well in the technology world, cybersecurity, yeah. because um, we're just waiting for one big national cyber attack. And that, not that I wish that to happen, but that will just drive that, that sector straight up through the roof. Yeah. And there too, probably uh, ETF for index investing. Yeah, is, I, I, uh, do, I do like ETFs, uh, rather individual stocks. Could you make more money buying Apple than buying, you know, phone or, or, or software ETFs? Yes, you can. That's the beauty of having it. But you can also get it blown up mm. like by owning PayPal and be off by 65%. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when it comes to cybersecurity stocks, some of those are very small companies and uh, very volatile. But if you do the sector uh, through an ETF, it's probably a, a bit, bit more, a better way to get the exposure. So, okay. So, but so, so you're, so you're cautiously starting to buy tech ahead of what you're expecting is going to be a recession. Obviously, it's impossible for anybody to time these things perfectly. But how do you see this playing out now this summer as the economy, I guess, starts to roll over? Or what's your, what's your view there? I think we're just beginning with what I call a flat line, mm -hmm. which is a, a trading range. Um, and it's a pretty flat trading range. I think we're going to be there for some time to come now. I think the money that's been made in the market's been made till the, till the recession. Um, we own a lot of value, even our even in our growth portfolio, we own a lot of value products in there with some growth sprinkled in there versus two and a half years ago, I owned zero value. Mm. It's really a big difference in there. But um, so everything we have now, uh, Nathan, pays dividends. Right. Now, if if you bought small cap value because you wanted to be ahead of the curve, then your number one holding sector in, inside there was regional banks. Yeah. And we didn't do that. Okay. Um, I have I have a problem just with the marketability of small cap value. I right. like mid cap value. And the reason I like mid cap value so much, 
solid companies. Most of them are not over leveraged. And the large companies come in to buy them out in the middle of a recession. They become very saleable at that point. And okay. I want to be there when they're being bought out. Okay. That's not something that, that I've, I've heard, heard uh, being talked about much, actually. This idea that mid-cap value can be recession-proof. Um, I would think that a lot of the small caps, mid caps would, would all be cyclical, but not, that's not the case. Everything's cyclical at the end of the day. Sure. Yeah, sure. But, uh, yeah. but I like, I do like, if you're going to play contrarian, then who are the companies that have good cash flow, good market niches, and would love to be bought out. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at basically, I, instead of looking at market cap of 10 billion or some of these market cap numbers are so ridiculous. Yeah. You can have zero profits and have a, $50 billion market cap. It's it's just, look at Peloton at the height of their market cap. It was just ridiculous. They were like $30 billion or some stupid mm -hmm, number. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but so I look at, instead of looking at market cap, I look at sales and PE. And if I see a company with pretty good sales and growing sales, but struggling at the bottom line, that's a, that's a takeover candidate. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Obviously you don't need, you wouldn't want to have too much debt on the balance sheet either. No, I, I do stay away from companies that, that heavily invest on bank loans and, mm. uh, and, and bank loan portfolios, credit loans, credit. These, these are hard. I don't mind some private credit, but the public credit product problem is that when interest rates go up, these companies, even a company like ours, their interest rate that they're borrowing at goes from four or five to 11 or 12. And if your margins are thin and you're in growth mode, man, that, that's just sucking away cash every minute of the day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned interest rates and you talked at the top how you, you also have some, well, I, I don't know if I, I was about to call them contrarian, but who knows what qualifies as a contrarian take on interest rates anymore since. Yeah. But what, yeah. What is your take there? Because we've been going up and up and up here and the last Fed meeting, they raised a quarter point. Now who knows what's going to happen in the next one. The, I, I would say we're in for one more quarter point hike at least. Um, mm. and then that's, that's the top of the curve right there. Mm -hmm. So when I'm buying, you know, we've owned all year, uh, treasury bills, not treasury bonds, treasury bills. We've owned anything that's two years or under in the bond market. We think that and those are paying between four and 5%. Um, that's pretty, that's fantastic for a lot of clients. If you're owning treasury bills, which is, you know, it's kind of a no brainer, they're state tax free. If you're living in a state that's, that's taxable, um, which is great, um, but at, at, again, this summer, by the time July, August comes around and we hit, or September, we hit the bottom of that curve. You'll never know when you're at the bottom. You want to move the spread out. And I know we get all technical jargon on spread and curve and short end of the curve and long end of the curve. But if you think about things that are doing three to five years, bonds that are doing three to five years, corporate bonds, then those bonds are considered the medium part of the curve. And those are highly beaten up right now, highly beaten up. And that's where I want to buy that in because as the Federal Reserve begins to flatten or lower interest rates to help stimulate the economy back as we go into also a uh, presidential year, mm. then that's the part that will do the best. If you own the long end of the curve, they'll do really well when interest rates go down. But you are so far out there. It's so dangerously exposed if we get another bad inflation report. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the short end of the curve is is also um, pretty much a victim of certainly of, of the of the Fed rates, isn't it? Um, Everything is again, but yes, but we're on our, on our short end of the curve. It's paying between four or five and a quarter percent. Uh, 
because it's six months or less, it's 12 months or less. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about short. Okay. So that's really short. Yeah. But it's, it also sounds like you're collecting that for the yield as opposed to as a capital gains. Yeah. But I have it in IRAs as well. Uh -huh. um, look, I, I could tell you for my clients, none of them like getting a 1099 with income on it. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how well they tell you like, well, I want to preserve uh, my principal. I want to maintain strength. And then they come up and say, well, I didn't know I owe so much in taxes. Mm -hmm. And they made, you know, $51,000 in dividends or $21,000 in dividends. And it's all short term and they've got nothing to offset it because everything that's offsetting it is long term. They yeah. get upset with us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but still, so it sounds like you're, you're, you're expecting this summer, the economy to kind of roll over this summer and the Fed to have to cut rates sooner okay. rather than later. Late summer, early fall, the latest. I think we're done. I, I think the uh, the travel's out of our business. The, the fuel's going to be still about where it is today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. As consumers, we're starting to run out of capital mm -hmm. in this country. We're still spending it. We still have a little jet lag from uh, COVID, but that's all going to be behind us very shortly. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to see people pull up their belts um, and spend less money. I, I, and the way one of the ways I judge this is by the amount of traffic at Costco. Okay, and that is that is down significantly. It is, and that tells me versus during COVID, it was up dramatically. It tells yeah. me. People are buying less. I didn't know that traffic ever went down at Costco. I know. It's hard to imagine that. Is that yeah. Go there but now you, at five o'clock and look at the, how short the lines are at five o'clock. What do you um, have to, to use that? I mean, is it other than what they report in their in their quarterlies, I guess? Yeah, that's, that's a visual for me. I go to several Costcos and check them out. Not just because I buy at Costco, but, yeah. but because I do. That's one of my places. I look at, I look at lines at McDonald's. I look at lines at uh, traffic uh, cashier lines. At Costco, those are two places that I look to see what it's like. I look at how many high-end restaurants are closing their doors. Uh, I went to a really nice restaurant last night in San Francisco, and I know Monday night's an off night. Um, we were the only table there. Yeah. That says something. How much of that do you think is, is a regional economy thing, though? Because we've heard everywhere about how San Francisco has basically entered the dark ages and how like all the everybody's leaving San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera crime and what have you. Well, you're, you're right about that. San Francisco, New York, Chicago, these mm -hmm. are cities that just at this moment do not get it. Right? They're not getting it. So in those cities, there's going to be a problem. Boston gets it. Nashville mm -hmm. gets it. But Florida, you have many pockets now where real estate has more than doubled in the last three years, and it's backed off by 15 to 20% this year so far. So mm -hmm. there is some backup going on. Uh, lots of parts of California now are backing up. Not every part. My street in Lafayette, California, because there's so few homes for sale, there's just there's no prices going down. There's just no inventory. Mm -hmm. But other places that have inventory are seeing prices coming down again. That's less money for the consumer. 
Yeah, but you don't think that's just a regional a, a thing in the in the local in your local economy. You think that yeah, there's, there's buy, enough of that. All buying, all real estate is always regional, no matter who you are. There are always pockets like Nashville or yeah. Austin that are are booming today, no matter what, because the pockets that are suffering are moving to the pockets that are thriving. So tell me about the lines of McDonald's. Is that a is that a contrarian indicator, or is that a is that like a leading indicator? Like, is that good for the economy or bad? Like, if... well, you would think when times get tough, the lines at McDonald's get really long because people still yeah. want to eat. But right. now, and typical McDonald typically McDonald's thrives during bad times. Right. But they just did a layoff at corporate headquarters. Right. And so they see some things happening out there that are not good for them. Uh-huh. And they just changed the taste. Of their hamburger around now the part of that could be that there's more competition than ever i mean you can't watch any major show without seeing an ad for wendy's or paul Jr.'s or burger king or, or mcdonald's chick-fil-a yeah chick-fil-a uh you know they brought back mcburglar they're doing things to try to get back on top and they've been the lead dog for a very long time but they're the lines in so many places have gone down I, our office is right across from in and out burger in mm-hmm. Burger here in California, for people that that around the country, that is a staple of fast food unique to California. Unlike where I grew up, White Castle was the best hamburger around. Mm-hmm. And he's got from Queens or Brooklyn or I'm from Jersey. Oh, okay. I didn't realize yeah. I had White Castle there too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so out here in California, I could see out my window to Burger to up uh, in and out. The lines are down at night and they're long lines they're down yeah. by 20 they're down by 20 30 percent if you count the number of cars interesting um, so that is really interesting okay and now people in my office have started to bring their lunch oh so said, gosh it's becoming so expensive i can't go out anymore huh and we're a building mm. at um fifty thousand square feet more people bring their lunch that says something right there again interesting wow i wonder about also like chick-fil-a lines like if you guys i don't know if you have them out there but uh here on the east coast wherever you see these i mean the lines are like the cars are like backed out like around the block well that might be because they're stealing business from mcdonald's or, or yeah, that's um, true. other places i know burger king down here out here in california and again we're regional burger king lines are down as well yeah so mm-hmm. there, there's something going on there some shifts going on i mean there are shifts going on every day i just heard today was it today that uh wendy's announced was it wendy's Announced that they will start using AI hmm. in in the late night drive through line hmm. to figure out what should be what they need to have made to make the line speed up. Wow. Okay. And they expect that to decrease the number of people they need by a third at night. One, yeah. It seems it was- like AI is one of these things now where people sneak language of it out in their press releases and it gives their stocks a boost, kind of like cryptos in 2017 or 2018 or what have yeah. you. Okay, wow. So that's that's all a bunch of really interesting stuff. But but you don't think that the that the recession when it hits is going to be particularly bad. No, I'm under. I know there are plenty of people who see a deep recession. Mm-hmm. There are big warning signs out there of things, red flags. Let's call them red flags out there. The 31 trillion dollars of debt is a red flag in this country. Uh, the 260,000, 267,000 dollars of average debt per taxpayer. Or on a, on a federal debt is just an alarming number. It, it's so big, it can never be paid back. We've crossed the line of ever paying it back. Hmm. So now who's going to buy U.S. treasuries and how much do we have to get them out in the marketplace for? And and when the U.S. government does that, they crowd out other debt. And so that's a, that's a red flag out there. Hmm. 
But I'm under, I'm still going with that the majority of people, because they're hearing every day about the recession, every day, 24 hour news cycle. You know, you're doing what you're doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. Five years ago, who heard of a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. And so since we're hearing of it, we're kind of bracing for it. We're more aware of it. And therefore, I think just as consumers, we're willing to say, okay, how long is this going to last? And let's get out of it quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not going to. We're not going to be the victims that we've been in the past. Okay, that's interesting. But I always thought that in the age of social media, we haven't had a social media recession yet, except for if you, unless you include COVID, which is like a what a month. But <laughs> and I say this is based on uh, as having lived through the 08 disaster, and even from before that in the early nineties. From what I recall, it seems that every single recession is the worst one since the Great Depression, and it's always like it doesn't seem there's really a mild recession when you're going through it. Well, that's something that's applied retroactively. That's kind of my, my theory. But you do you? Um, you don't I, I don't subscribe to that, and yeah. I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. We just had a, and we're really still in a regional banking crisis. Yeah, three banks disappeared in the last month. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's all over the. It's everywhere. Everybody in America knows about this. We live in California. We call it banks. Silicon Valley Bank out here. Everybody knew about it. So what did the consumer do with twenty four hour news? They moved their money out of Republic Bank and moved it to Chase and B of A to the bank's too big to fail. What happened in 2008? Everybody was a victim and did nothing because they did. there was no internet telling everybody what was going on. We were just were hoping, kind of crossing our fingers that this would not fall apart. So the consumer is reacting very quickly and saying, where can I be safe? Where can I be smart? That, and so that's not just gonna happen on banks, that's going to happen on every business. Mm-hmm. So McDonald's announces tomorrow, I'm sorry, we're going to recall 25 million hamburgers because of E. coli. Mm-hmm. The next day, the lines at Burger King and In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A are out through the roof and nobody's at McDonald's. Yeah. And when there's no internet telling them that, they don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So we're nimble now, mm-hmm. very nimble and much smarter. Yeah. And, and to your point, everybody has brokerage accounts now, which, by the way, are free, which they were not in 2008. It was like $20 a trade or something ridiculous back then. Uh, well, so you're trade. expecting you're you are more accepting the fact that you're if your account goes down by 10 percent, you're not going to go out of your mind and withdraw. In 2008, the second that started to go down, people were just freaking out, didn't know what to do. And in 30 seconds, it went down by 30 and 40 percent. Yeah. Yeah. Before people could react, and we're much more, again, we're much more nimble and we're much smarter about it today. Very interesting. All right. Elliot Callan, this is some very interesting insights onto the economy, onto stocks. And I want to come back and ask you some more stuff about yourself, about your firm, about your views on the markets. But let's first take a quick break. If you are a premium subscriber, don't go anywhere. Don't touch the dial. You will not get the break. We'll be right back. In fact, we already are. And everybody else, to become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. 
Premium subscribers get direct access to the host. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website. .com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details, contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. Whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. Welcome back, everybody. Here with Elliot Callen, founder of Prosperity Financial Group. Elliot, this is the segment of the show where we ask our guests to tell us a little bit more about themselves and how they got into this station in life. I mentioned that you're the founder of this firm, so curious what you did before, how long the firm's been around, and um, I guess, yeah, how you got into investing in the first place to, uh, yeah, to kind of put it all into Marvel terms here with an origin story. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, take it away. Let, let Tell us. Thank you, Nathan. You know, I've been doing this now for 30 years. The firm is 27 years old. I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, and I, I'm, I consider myself much more of an entrepreneur than a financial advisor uh, because this is not the first company I've started. I started a packaging company, uh, environmental cleanup after that, uh, worked doing a, a mathematical, some mathematics, and then came to California in 1993, uh, joined a, a, a financial advisory firm, and then started our own firm shortly thereafter. Um, and today we're pushing... We have two firms here. Each one is pushing $400 million uh, in total assets out of the same office. And then we have a charity that we run as well. So we have been working with B2B and clients on a regular basis for my entire career, and then transitioned to include B2C. Here, 40% uh, of our clients are entrepreneurs and own company or own companies or did own companies. They're the referrals of people that have owned companies. We speak their language. We understand how you can have receivable problems, payable problems, employee problems, HR problems. We've been there, done that. And so we have that language. And then we've all experienced here the, the problem of not planning properly with your estate, with taxes, with kids that have fought over money, with losing family over money and divisiveness that comes around. So there's a lot of real life experience that has gone into our firm. Um, and we work, we have several, we have five advisors plus myself. Um, we work with them. I try to, I work with the higher net worth group on that. I build my own portfolios. Uh, so we are direct builders of portfolios. I spend 70% of my time doing this, interacting, and 30% of my time, a little bit of an economic wonk, uh, building models, talking to money managers, 
talk, reading economic reports, I get over 100 a day. You can't even begin to read them. Yeah. Uh, but you get over 100 a day. Some of them very much contrarian with each other. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> and, I know that and, from reading some of these and in some cases writing and editing them myself. Yes. And, and if you listen to CNBC, the morning, afternoon, these people can be 100% uh, polarized with each other. Right. And there are certain so, individuals that will remain nameless, Jim Cramer, that are very good contrarian indicators as well. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, very interesting. So I'm, I'm wondering here, as, as a fiduciary, and you have, you know, you're responsible for, like, like you said, these individuals and family and business wealth. How does one go about balancing life? And how do you like shut off? Or do you shut off? And, um, you know, the risk and the responsibility that comes with that. How do you go about managing that? So, Nathan, we have a saying here that says if it's money, it's personal. We own that mm -hmm. and trademark that saying. So there are some advisors that leave their leave their business at work. They leave their clients at work. They don't want to be bothered. Uh, we're not that. I'm the opposite of that. that that's a double-edged sword because that means clients can call me seven days a week. And some do, especially if they're worried and can't sleep. I've gotten those 4 a.m. calls. Yeah. And we work our way through that. I, I don't want to say we're boutique because that means in a recent survey that meant small rather than you know giving great service. But we're definitely a white glove organization and we give really great service. So the idea is when, when a client is making money, we want to share in the joy with them, not just the billing joy, but we want to share with them. We want to make those calls. We want to talk to them. We want to let them know things are going well and what we're doing to fix that and improve that. Um, but when COVID hit, especially... When the majority of people in my industry took their head and put their head in the sand and acted like a bunch of ostriches and stopped going to the office and the big brokerage houses, they completely shut down. And even to this day, they're, they're half empty, a lot yeah. of them. We were the exact opposite. We went aggressive. We put an entire marketing department together at the beginning of COVID. We started to reach out to our clients. We sent out bi-weekly emails of what we're doing and we began to, to buy. Hmm. We began to clean up portfolios and buy. So when everything dropped dramatically and we thought the end of the world was coming because we had the next Spanish flu of 1918, we were buying. Mm -hmm. And we were buying heavily into biotech and tech mm. in 2020. And of wow. course, we went up by 60% that year yeah. uh, for the most part. It was a great time to, to be in that. So we, But we take this personally. And I can tell you in 2020, we stayed up every night today. We're up a lot during the night at two in the morning or three in the morning. My wife looks at me like, really, you just can't sleep? I said, I can't sleep. Uh -huh. said, no, I feel, it hurts me to have any client not making money and not reaching their financial goals. Hmm. How, quick, yeah. How quick are you to sell out of positions that once they go against you? Do you have strict stop loss limits? We do. Yeah. We have no, we, here's how we work it. We, we look at a strategic, how we want it to look strategically. So the portfolio is set up to look a certain way strategically, 4% here, 3% there, 7% there. But tactically is where we really excel because we put the what we feel are the best products from the best vendors inside these portfolios and we are merciless to them. We hold, we tell them, look, we may kick you out in 30 days, 120 days, in nine, we might kick you out because you're not doing what you told us you were gonna do. Now, if the market's down and, there's, and they're down with it, we're not kicking anybody out. But if the market's up and they're not tracking or they're not beating what they said they would do, they're not going to make it till the end of the quarter. Hmm. We will be merciless. Our clients have asked us to be merciless. That, mm -hmm. Look, we trust you. We know that you're looking at it every day of the week. And so just because you're, I'm taking you out of the portfolio in May 
doesn't mean you're out of the portfolio forever. I may put you back in in August, but I need you to go down further because I see it coming. So it sounds like you have some act an actively managed component there. I mean, and it, I'm not talking about what you're doing, but what you're who you're investing in. Are those actively yeah. managed mutual funds or, or? Yes, we don't do anything passive. The only okay. thing we do, if you want to call it passive, is we do sector bets, right? Uh, using ETFs. Yeah. You, and one could call that passive investing, uh, but even then, you could get into the alpha side of those uh, passive, and they become much more aggressive and much more active. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so because, yeah, because we, you know, we've heard a lot of debate, of course, about the whole passive versus active thing and active management being dead and blah blah blah. It doesn't sound like you quite subscribe to that. I would assume. No, I am, I am a big fan of active management. I think, look, Vanguard has done an amazing job educating and advertising to the public that cost is everything. They've done a great job with that. And they've got a loyal base because of that. Okay. But they never say what I think is more important, that your total return after cost is really what is most important to the client. That's what everybody asks when I sit down with them. How am I doing? They don't say how much does it cost to do what I'm doing. That's not their first question. They will, we will talk about that, but they want to know how they're doing. And so in, in, in stretching terms, if I make my client 20% this year, okay, every one of them is going to be really happy, right? But if I really made them 30, but took charge of a 10% fee to do that, Will they still all be happy making 20%? I would think so. Right. Because if you're looking at the 20% and let's assume that beat the market and we yeah. killed it, they should be thrilled. Yeah. But Vanguard's got them thinking, no, that fee that advisor took is more important than your total return. And they've got it backwards. The client, we don't pay bills based on top line numbers. We pay bills on what we take home. You, 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 show your returns and your success based on the net after everything. And now if your net is not good, then your fees may be too high and you're compounding the problem. Right. But if you're within reason and you're outdoing what you said you would do, I don't mean to be outdoing the index because to just beat the S&P 500, your portfolio may not be geared up to do that. But mm -hmm. to outbeat whatever you compared as an index and not get paid on it, then you're not a good business person on it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the argument that hedge fund managers uh, certainly use and, and, you know, some with with reason. I mean, if you invest in a, you know, a rena renaissance hedge fund that did crazy returns and you'll gladly give them 3% and 35 off the top or whatever it was that they that they charge um, because the returns are, are consistently so far ahead of the market um, that it doesn't matter. So do you find it, but it must be a challenge to find these active managers and, and do you have any, without getting too much into it, do you have, what kind of criteria do you, do you use to, to find, to determine who's a good active manager? We, we meet with almost every active manager okay. with a Zoom or a person. Mm -hmm. We don't just take them on. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays with Zoom, you know, that's the best thing about COVID is mm -hmm. the Zoom, the Zoom mm -hmm. world. Uh, even though if you invested in Zoom in 2021, you'd not been happy at yeah. the end of 2022. Right. Uh, so we, we talk to them, we look at them, we want to understand them. What is the, I don't want to say alpha because now I'm into industry jargon. What is the exceptional advantage that they bring to the table that the index doesn't provide? And for many of them, 
it's actively getting rid of the dogs. Mm -hmm. Indexes always include dogs. Mm -hmm. They just have to by definition. Mm -hmm. And so that's good. So if I can have an S&P 275 that crushes the S&P 500, I'll take that all day long. Mm. And that's just one example of it. Mm -hmm. uh, they say, hey, Elliot, I'm putting this together. I think it has a real bent towards active, um, actively run, uh, well-run technology companies that are leaders in their field across the board. Well, that's a, that's a positive active manager. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, that's what I want for my active managers. I want them saying they're good. This is why I'm in it. And this is what I bring as above and beyond the normal return. Mm -hmm. You're paying so, 30 or 40 basis points additional to have that happen. So what, how much uh, of the, you know, typical portfolios are in active management versus ETFs versus individual stocks versus bonds? Like how do you usually structure these things? I'm almost, I would look 80% of everything I, or 80 to 90% of everything I do is active. Right. It's right up there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm Maybe active. You, mm -hmm. Meaning you allocate to active managers or you do active investing or both? Both, both. Yeah, yeah. I use active managers. It's kind of like a double activity thing. Yeah, yeah. I want active managers that do what they say they're going to do or explain to me why they didn't. I want to be very active with them and, and very on top of my game in a strategic world, right? But we can't take the old mutual fund concept of just buy and hold. That doesn't work. That's like the 60-40 portfolio. It doesn't work anymore. It's been out of fashion for a long time. Buy and hold doesn't really work. Could you have bought ICA from American funds in 1940 and held it today and be worth millions? Yes, absolutely. That's true. Or you know, no, no question about that. But today is a different time. And you've got to think about what's in that and where the puck is going. Where's the market going? Because it is changing by the day. Now, on that note there, Nathan, is you don't want to also be subject to the whims of the headline that says what came out in 2000, where revenues are everything and profits are meaningless. The new economy is good and the old economy is dead. That was the headline of 2000. That was completely incorrect. So if you, you don't want to be just a headline follower. You want to dig underneath it. And that really pertains to your whole concept of a contrarian, that what are they saying? And I'll do the opposite. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. You're you're out there in, in Northern California, which is has been, of course, the kind of center of all things tech for 40 years. Um, and you know, do you have any views into what you think might be the next big growth? Um, maybe not companies, but industries. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or is that outside of, of what you what you do? Is that not something? No, I I love what you're saying on that. Mm -hmm. Um I, I think if I were to pick uh, one sector that is gonna be uh Above and beyond, it'd be healthcare or biotech. Okay. Those two. The biotech companies get started and get sold. Yeah. That's the nature of biotech. So when you're buying biotech, you want to buy small and medium-sized companies. They're going to be sold. That's your winner. Mm -hmm. right? When you're buying healthcare, you want to buy large companies that have that pay dividends because they've mm -hmm. got a lot of cash on the books. So those two, as as we're aging, and I don't see any gray hair on your head. No, but, no you, but I don't have any hair either. So yeah, but you do see some gray in my on my face and head. And so that healthcare cost is going to go higher and higher. My doctor that I've had now for I would say for five years, who I really like, announced that he and his wife, when they practice together, are going to become concierge doctors uh -huh. and by subscription. And it's $250 a month for my wife and $250 a month for myself. Still with Blue Shield, though. 
but now I have to pay to go see them a subscription price. You're going to see more and more of those type of things out there because it's harder to get a primary care physician. They're being handcuffed by everything, by the cost of doing business around there. Um, you're being diagnosed earlier with diseases that are now curable, but super expensive. The cure is millions of dollars. Uh, Kaiser's already made a decision years ago. Most of those high-end cures, they're not going to bring in house. They're not. They may send you to Stanford, but there's a good chance that you're just not going to get it. I'm sorry. You're a statistic. You're a little bit old and maybe your time is up. Um, you and I don't accept that probably because we're the consumer uh, that somebody, some institution is going to tell us when our time is up. Mm. Uh, so we're going to want to spend that million dollars on a very rare drug that cures my very rare cancer. Mm. Uh, and mm. that's, again, who's doing that? How's that going to work? So I like that a lot. I think cybersecurity, uh, again, that's an epic flow. But once you have an attack, again, that's just going to take off. Yeah. We get another type of experience thing uh, where two-thirds of American social security numbers get compromised. People are going to go crazy, and you'll see that sector just blossom yeah. or, or a plane go down or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get that. I think those are really good. Um, I think shipmakers are really going to struggle for a while on that, although it's interesting to see that whether the United States decides to put up a ton of money to help manufacturers move out of China and either bring it back here or bring it to Vietnam, uh, somebody's going to be the beneficiary of uh, leaving China because China, people are beginning to realize just finally that China is our enemy and China wants world domination, much like Japan did in the 20s and 30s or Germany did. Um, and they're going to they're going to go after it in a big way. And you can't even buy a simple antibiotic shot if that's not made in China today. Yeah. If we went to war with China. We've got a big time problem in our medical business. Yeah. Uh, and those are things that have to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a, something that both parties rarely uh, get get behind now. Um, really interesting. All right. Elliot Callan of the Prosperity Financial Group, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. In closing, maybe you can tell our listeners how they can find out, out more about you, more about your firm. I imagine you have a website. I don't know if you're on social media, but yeah. Well, we're everywhere on social media. Oh, cool. It's, pros it's prosperityfinancialgroup.com. Mm -hmm. It's Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at prosperityfinancialgroup.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. You can catch me on LinkedIn. We're in Northern California. Um, I, I, I kid around. I, I've got a face that's great for, for radio and a voice for TV. Uh, but you can catch us, and we'd love to talk to you. And like yourself there, Nathan, we have a number of podcasts that people are welcome to listen to. Subscribe. I'd love to su subscribe to yours. And uh, yeah. Are they on the our, iTunes and stuff? Uh, what's, what's, a, what's the podcast called? Meet the Expert with Elliot Callan. Okay. And that's so that on one, all mm -hmm. the major places that you get podcasts. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Um, but you did not, you mentioned you're not on Twitter. Um, interestingly, have you never been? No, on we're there? not. For a long time, Twitter was unacceptable in my industry. Um, it, okay. was, it was. It was an issue. It is no longer that issue uh, because the, the issue was capturing, uh, all about capturing the message. It had to be captured in archive somewhere and Twitter was not oh. geared up for that. But now we use Smarsh and Smarsh now can handle that. Right. And so I'm not yet on Twitter. Okay. That's one thing I'm not on yet, but you could bet that'll change in 2023, I'm quite sure. Very cool. All right, well, we'll look for you there too. 
But for now, I'll put those links in the show notes so everybody can access them. Uh, Elliot, thank you so much for joining the podcast again. Thanks for, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. And we look forward to speaking to you again next time. See you then. Bye. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.